0: So I'm glad to see we all remaining in an attitude of worship. What does that mean? (laughs) We are surrounded by so much Christian needs and we get so used to it. So we're here, attitude of worship and I guess I'll just return to my seats quietly. Uh, I don't know, what does that mean? Attitude of worship as you return to your seats. I suppose like that there's a lot in our Christian walks that we are So familiar with, we stop to think about what it is. So, tonight I wanted to touch on one of those ones. It is seek his kingdom. How often have we heard those phrases? How often have we read them in our Bibles to seek his kingdom? And my dear wife got me stirring on that one is okay, so what is that? What is God's kingdom? What is it to seek God's kingdom? I wish I can give you all the answers, but we can scratch a little bit together and let's see how far we can get on that one tonight. So as I was preparing with this, one of the thoughts that came to my mind to try and relate this is, I think we can all, we all know this one person, that particular person who is just saintly. They can do no wrong. They Anything they do, everything you do, they just do better. And they love people better. They're just gracious, they're loving, they're kind, they're generous. They give up their time to everybody, and they make you look bad. And then to add on to to insult to injury, they're not a Christian. Who knows a person like that? Yeah, we all know a person like that. For me, that's my sister. What a wonderful lady, an absolute wonderful lady. And she is just so saintly, but she doesn't serve the Lord. That made me think, to seek his kingdom and to be a Christian can't be about good moral standards and looking the part. That's not the point. And especially if you've been around religion too long, that becomes the point. To look the part, to uphold to a certain standard, to adhere to society norms, to fit into what's expected, to do your good deeds, to check the boxes. And we can fall into that trap so quickly again and again. Even if we've been running out flat out for Jesus all our lives, we can fall into a routine where we're just doing what we do because we're used to doing it. But that's not seeking the kingdom. It has to be more than that. Otherwise, we're no different from that saintly person who does all their beautiful good deeds and just lives a good, solid, moral life. In Galatians 2.20, we read the following. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, Who loved me and gave himself to me? A big part of what we do has to be lived in faith because we know Jesus Christ and he is in us. If there's no faith, there's no point. Which also means if we can think we can do everything we tend to do, then we don't need faith to do it either. God is going to ask us to do things that's going to require faith that are definitely beyond our ability. And as we seek his kingdom, there's going to be a price and there's going to be faith to get us there. In some form or fashion, we have to die to ourselves. That slogan, dying to live, it's not just a catchphrase. It's not just rolls off the tongue nice. It's a way of life that we all need to adhere to, all need to strive to, all need to remind each other to uh, on a daily basis dying to live. So what is the kingdom? You all know the Lord's Prayer. I'll read the first verses for you from Matthew. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I remember praying that growing up pretty much every day. The school we went to, I was in a boarding school in Pretoria That was the daily prayer. We all had to recite the same way we recited for our grace before meals. And you could recite that blind and repetitiously without even knowing what you're saying. And the same I had with the Lord's Prayer. And those words for me were always for the future. Your kingdom come one day. Your will be done one day. Jesus will come back someday. (laughs) I never thought of these words as Today Lord, let your kingdom come today. Let your will be done today as it is in heaven. Let it be so on Earth. I ask uh, those smarter than me, um, and the, those are many um, how they would define the kingdom. And the one that really stuck with me was where God rules and reigns, where His will is done. And that can be here on earth, in our little environments, and our little ecosystems on this world, where we allow God to rule and to reign in our lives, where we allow his will to be done in our lives, his kingdom has come. Now that is seeking his kingdom, to allow God's rule and reign in our lives on a daily basis to come to the surface and for us to die so that he can come and a big part of that well actually the main part of that how that looks will likely be through the local church our local church as a body is Jesus' body on earth it is how he has chosen for his kingdom to come it's what Jesus gave himself for he gave himself so that the church can become a spotless bride so that he can come back and fetch her without wrinkle, without a spot, glorified and beautiful. And we get to contribute to that. We get to contribute by making disciples, bringing the nations and including them in his kingdom. And we get to contribute by helping God make this kingdom beautiful. To help each and every one of us fulfill our callings and to be raised up into what he's called us to. Ephesians 3.10 puts it this way. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God in his wisdom has chosen the church as his vehicle for his kingdom to come. Scripture is very clear in that. Church or the body is his chosen vehicle. And we have the privilege of being part of it. And if Jesus gave himself for this body, we should do likewise. To copy his example and give ourselves to the body. That is our purpose. Now the problem is we get lost on the way. (laughs) It's not like we get to the point where we deny Christ and turn our backs on him and move away. It is that we get deceived, distracted, get confused, get forgotten. <laughs> and we start diverting from this calling. And we constantly need a, a reminder to get back. It is like those seeds that are thrown into the, good so, into the soil. One is thrown into the path where the birds come and eat it straight away. The other one is thrown amongst the rocks where it can sprout briefly but then the troubles of the world come and destroy it. The third one gets thrown amongst thorny thorns and the fourth amongst the good soil. But I think it's especially the ones that are thrown amongst the soil, is, ach, the, the thorns and the weeds where we get caught into. It's where we get distracted by the world and what the world gets, in, in, uh, world gets to offer us. And we need to pay attention to that so that we are not deceived by the world. It's another uh, part of the Bible that describes about the man who's going to build a tower. But before he builds a tower, he needs to count the cost. Because if he doesn't count the cost, he might just lay the foundations, build it high enough so that everyone can see it, and then stop so that everyone can mock him for what he hasn't finished. And like that, our Christian walk is going to come at a cost. There will be things you can do or can't do. There will be things that you forsake or the things that you pursue because you are in the kingdom. I remember that one of the first times this realization came to me was when I was still in Holland and I was comparing, as I always do, very bad of me, comparing my lifestyle to that of my colleagues. I was comparing the things they had, especially the gadgets. I'm a geek, I can't help it. Looking at all those gadgets. Comparing their holidays, comparing the cars, comparing what they had and were doing and what they were enjoying to what I was doing and enjoying. And sort of, but why don't I have the same? Why am I not doing that, what they're doing? Why don't I have what they have? And then it dawned on me. Suppose I was tithing. It was costing me what they had was costing me because I was giving it to kingdom. I could not live up to what they were enjoying because I was giving God first. And that was an interesting revelation for me, is if we are going to serve the kingdom, we're going to seek the kingdom first, there are things that the world will have that you will go without. Matthew 6.33 says the following. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I can very easily fall into the trap of not seeking the kingdom first but seeking my needs first. Seeking relationships, seeking provision, seeking relaxation. But the scripture is clear. If we seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be added unto me. I was speaking with Fimke about this and just trying to, hey, examples in our own life where we've done this and how we've done this. One of the things that we realized is in a lot of those examples, excuse me, a lot of the examples we have in our lives, for us personally, it didn't feel like a big sacrifice. But externally, it might. It might feel like a choice that doesn't add up. My belief is that as we seek his will first, his kingdom first, those become our will and our desires. If we see what he sees and love what he loves, we want what he wants. We automatically die to self. we start living for something far more glorious and as Jesus could endure the cross for the joy set before him we gratefully let go of these things that the world can offer for we see something far more glorious we see his kingdom and we see his kingdom in our lives and we have the joy and the privilege of walking in his will (laughs) now I don't want to be on this side of his will (laughs) Once I know what His will is for my life, I can't turn my back on it. I can't willfully ignore it. That's just The fear of the Lord is going to prevent me from that. I'm not saying that walking in His will is always comfortable. I'm not saying His walking in His will is always fruitful and filled with joy. What I am saying is, there's no other place I'd rather be. I don't want to rely on my own strength. I don't want to rely on my own understanding. I want to seek him first and all those other things will be added unto me for God is faithful. So in Luke 9, let's have those scriptures up for me please. Luke 9 verse 57 to 62, we'll just spend a moment there. We read in the example here of three different individuals who heard the call, follow me. And they all responded in a different way. So let's have a look at the first individual. This is from Luke 9, verse 57. I'm sure it will pop up in a moment. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now what was Jesus saying to this guy? What he was saying to him is, there's a cost to follow me. Jesus was saying, if you look at my own life, I'm not promising you riches, I'm not promising you luxury, I'm not promising you that you know where you're going to sleep tonight. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to forego what the world seeks in order to follow me? Said in a different way, it is instead seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. That's on the end of when Jesus is talking don't be anxious about anything, don't worry about your provision. But seek Him first, and God will take care of you. Just like He can take care of the lilies and the birds of the field, He will take care of you. But too often, we start taking care of our own provision. We start choosing jobs that will secure us, provide for us, and that can come at the cost of the kingdom. How does that come at the cost of the kingdom? I can remember being given a job offer, that would require me to travel a lot. It was to train other people in my career, courses. Now, I loved this concept. The job itself was thoroughly enjoyable. I would thoroughly enjoy doing this, to train other people, to train trainers, and to pass on the knowledge I had received myself. The catch was the job would require me to travel 50% of the time out of town, most likely also over the weekends. It would require me to be away from my family, my community, my church, more often than not. For that reason, and that reason alone, I declined the job. I had to let go of something that I wanted in the natural to pursue something that I wanted in the spiritual. Did it feel like a big sacrifice? No. (laughs) But it was a, a real choice that I had to make to let go of what looked like a lucrative career, an enjoyable career, and settle And I actually ended up in a job that I had to faithfully do for the next seven years and just do the same thing again and again. I was in support. For those who have ever helped people with support over the telephone for an extended period of time, it can get to you. (laughs) Now, I was able to do that with joy, not because I enjoyed my work, but I enjoyed what my work allowed me to do. It allowed me a lifestyle with my family, with my church, with my environment that I appreciated far more than finding fulfillment in my career. What are you desiring in your career? Are you living for your career or living for the kingdom? Are you willing to do the mundane for you can seek the Lord or do you need to sacrifice the kingdom so you can be fulfilled in your career? The next gentleman, in Luke, uh, from verse 59, we read the following. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now if we take that out of context, that can feel like a very harsh statement. But what God is saying there is, ultimately, the kingdom is far more important than any family member. Ultimately, it is far more important than any family member. Now, to balance that, God also makes family very important. There's no argument about that, that the family is God's beautiful instrument. How husbands need to love their wives, how children need to respond to their parents, how parents need to... Look after their children, how we dedicate the child this morning. It is a crucial part of God's plan and how he works out. But we can't live for our families. The kingdom comes first. Now, can we include our families in the kingdom? Absolutely. That's what we did this morning, or this, or this evening. We added her to the family. We said, God, this, she's yours. We're going to raise her up in your ways, in your kingdom. We're going to structure our lives for her so that she will see you and glorify you. That's bringing our kin- families into the kingdom. That's not living our, putting our families next to the kingdom. In the same way, my own children and my own family will have to structure their lives so that we as a family can serve the kingdom. Now, small ways, what does it look like? We've got the privilege to host a lot of people as a family. Now, when we host people, it's going to cost the family automatically. That's a dinner conversation that I can't share with the five of us. I've now got to share it with the people that are living with us at that time. There are evenings where the kids will not be present because we're having conversation with other people. We're going to have to share from our own plate. Hosting has a price to it. But as a family, we are hosting. We are sharing. We are inviting. And now we search the kingdom in that. How can we bless these people? How are these conversations going to lead to more of the God and the presence of God in this environment? And because I do the hosting and sharing of us to them, I then make sure that our family times happen in other moments. Can I be then intentional on Sunday morning to, hey, just us as kids, let's go out, let's spend some time together. Instead of having the extra nap, let's enjoy each other's company. Put family time at another time, but put the kingdom first as a family, as we seek the kingdom first together. It also had impact on the type of activities I allowed my kids to do. Now, what do I mean by that? I would encourage them to do sports. I would encourage them to do piano and violin or music, all these extracurricular activities. I think it's healthy for them. I think I would really support it. What I didn't allow, though, is I didn't allow them all to do different things at different timestamps. The consequence of that would be that my dear wife and I would run through this logistic nightmare of trying to get each child into the different places all over the place. And our afternoons would be filled driving around to support their individual desires. I required of them to sort of streamline what they can do and can't do at either the same activities or the same timestamps. To allow us as a family to have more time for each other and for the kingdom. They had to sacrifice their individual requirements for us as a family and for the body. That was for us seeking the kingdom first. Just to put it into words how extreme we can think about this. This is Jesus' own words from Luke 14. 14 verse 26 onwards. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children or brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. God has to be first. We cannot say to Jesus, let me first go deal with my family. And when they secure, when they're happy, when they provided for, when they're content, I'll come follow you. The kingdom first. The last one I think is a little bit of a, bit of a warning. This is the third gentleman from verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. For me, this is reminding myself of how the Israelites in the desert were complaining about how good they had it in Egypt. <laughs> who remembers that? Yeah? This, we can do the same. Guys, when we enter the kingdom, when we wholeheartedly pursue the Lord, we can remember how good we had it. In Egypt, we can, when things get tough and we get tired and we forget the vision, my wife and I could also just sort of reminisce and say, "Imagine all the things we could do if we weren't serving in the kingdom, if we weren't serving in the church." Who's had that thought? Please don't tell me I'm the only one. (laughs) But there's a reality to that. There's those holidays we could have had. There's these evenings of just relaxing at home. There's this all this time. There's a just wow, wow. But that's not the kingdom first. And we forget the joys we have because we're serving in the kingdom. We forget about those evenings where we've got to bless people and their gratitude and those salvation moments or those deliverance sessions of people working in freedom and the people blessing us and loving us and providing meals for people and them coming into our homes and just seeing God reign and rule. Those are joyful moments that we can't have without pursuing the kingdom first. And we look back to Egypt and think, I want to be back in slavery because I had meat. (laughs) And we lie to ourselves how good it was and we forget what God's bringing us into. We forget to look forward because if you're plowing, you can't look back. You have to look forward. And are you looking forward to what God's promised you? Are you looking forward to what God's going to provide for you in this life and the next? We have to look forward. In order to follow or we'll trip as we look back to what we're not getting another area where i think we can get it wrong the first two i think are quite prominent is we can get it wrong in our careers and we can get it wrong in our families where we get the balance wrong another area where i think we can get the balance wrong as we seek the kingdom first is how we enjoy our rest we can quite easily live for the weekend. Oh, thank God it's Friday, you know? Live for the weekend. Live for the holidays. Live for those evenings at home to relax, feet up on the couch. Live for those moments where I get to choose what I get to do. Does that sound a bit selfish? Does that sound about looking for myself instead of dying to self? Now, there's nothing wrong with rest, people. Rest is important. Genesis one starts with and God rested on the seventh day you can't argue with the fact that God finds rest important but I noticed this as well families are a wonderful area of learning things you see things in your children that just highlight things and you get trained by yourself because I never knew it myself until I saw it in my own children I could see how they would do tasks or do chores in order to rest so it's How quickly can I finish what I need to do so that I can go rest and entertain myself and do what I want to do? All right. Now, the kids do it, and they don't hide it well. As adults, we do exactly the same thing. We just hide it better. (laughs) All right. But it literally becomes we live between the tasks. We live between those obligations. And we don't rest, we don't do things no, we do things so that we can rest. We don't rest so that we can do things. Our purpose is not to rest and relax and be entertained. Our purpose for living isn't to find those moments of enjoyment. Those moments of enjoyment are there for restoration. To invigorate us again. To find the Lord, to find our family, to find our energies again. So that we can go serve the kingdom again. So that we can find the kingdom. And his kingship again. To find his rule and reign in us. Do you want to see how important this is? This is is Jesus and the disciples. In Mark 6.31. And then he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So there's Jesus saying to his disciples, we've been working hard. We can't even get rest. We can't even find a place to eat (laughs) by ourselves. So let's go away to a desolate place. People, it's important to rest. And you'll find for that reason, elders take weekends away. We go rest. We need those times away. And a lot of elders, when they rest, they can't even go to another church service because when they're there, they just see what God's doing, and they get engaged, and they get involved in people's lives, and they just can't stop but give themselves. They need their rest. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Jesus is going away with his disciples and rest. However, rest does not become your idol. See what happens in verse 34. As they get away to the desert place. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach many things. Jesus went over the the lake to find rest. And when he got there, he found people in need. And he served them. We can never say to God, but this is my rest time now. Your kingdom will have to wait. (laughs) I earned this. I've been working hard. This is my time. Then we've turned my time into an idol. It's no different vocab as my money, my time. We've made them both into idols that we now control and haven't surrendered to the kingdom. Does God want you to have rest? Yes, he does. We don't always get to determine when that rest is. Said differently, there's another parable where Jesus comments about the servant serving the master. And the master after he's served the table and he's done every, all the work in the field. And then comes into the master's house. The master doesn't then say, oh, come sit at my table and relax. The master says, well, now that you just serve me and give me my food, and then you can relax. We will get our rest in the Lord. He wants you to have your rest. But are you prepared in every and all situations to seek him and his kingdom first? So how does that look like? Who are you having your holidays with? With With my wife, my family. Are you prepared to take other people with you on holiday? To rest with other people? There you go, Polis. (laughs) Are you willing to use your holiday to go to a 412 conference? Yes, there you go. That's exactly what it looks like. Sacrificing your holiday, your me time, to seek the kingdom first. These are good things. And I must say, we do these things well. We serve each other well. We love each other. We help each other move. We make meals. We, we give of ourselves to each other. But we need to remind each other again and again that we don't do these things just because it's out of habit or obligations or to look good. Or because people will comment if I don't do these things. We need to do these things so we can seek the God's kingdom in them. And the word faith comes to mind again. Are we doing these things with faith? Are we going to the 412th conference with faith? Having given up our holidays in faith that God's going to come and touch us. That God's going to move us as a body. Are we pursuing our jobs faithfully faithfully? Expecting God's going to provide provision, or we taking control and going, I will through my might and skill provide, give provision. Do we have faith that those moments we don't get to spend with our children, or their sports days, or their whatever that is that we ask the family to give in? Do we have faith that God's going to be there for our families, that He's going to bond us together, that He's going to create moments that we can share with one another? On that one, I've personally been very much convicted of, am I faithful with those moments that God gives me? Now, what do I mean by that? I can very easily, in my own house, seek my own desires. Rest behind the computer. uh, I would say read a book, but that's not me. (laughs) Uh, Scroll through YouTube. um, Make myself actually just unavailable to my family. And then later God, owned, phone, someone phones and said they need me or to church something's happening or there's no power in the auditorium, and can I help? Then because I haven't shared my time with my family, now I go again away and again my family loses out because I haven't been faithful with the time I was given. And now the price becomes high for my family when God does ask. For me, that was a personal conviction to be faithful with my family and my time When God provides it. So that they don't pay a price that God's not asking of them. I think this is what I want to have for us as a congregation, as a body. Can I have Matthew 24 up on the board, please? Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. I want us all to be that faithful servant who is truly looking after all that God's given us. And we've been richly being provided by God. We have the privilege of being part of his kingdom, we have the privilege of being involved in each other's lives and sharing ourselves with one another. We have the privilege of inviting others into a healthy congregation, a healthy body where they will flourish. Have you just heard the wonderful story about Dirk coming from A to B and seeing him flourish as he goes on to the new? We have the privilege of a wonderful place with a wonderful master. But are we going to be busy with the master's business when he comes back at a time that we do not know? Or will he find us to be the lazy servant? Busy with our own things. Seeking our own careers, our own joys, our own families first. Where his will, where he reigns, where he rules, is his kingdom. We're going to have communion in a bit. And I want us to take the time to really process that together before we take it as a response to seeking his kingdom first Jesus used the word covenant as he shared communion with his disciples and he wanted to the covenant was a mutual connection between God and his disciples it was promises that he made with the disciples but also a covenant that they went into with him and how they partake with one another And like many things, the communion was something I could just do out of ritual. Not stopping to think about it. Not stopping to process it. Not stopping to reaffirm and remember what the covenant and the communion actually meant to me. And we're privileged here that most of us have given ourselves to the Lord already. And for some have done that many years ago. And that is an awesome privilege. Some of us more recently But I want all of us tonight during communion, as I lead us through it, just to reconfirm our covenant relationship with the Lord in light of seeking him and his kingdom first, seeking his will, his righteousness here on earth, just as it is in heaven.